0: So we have uh, Dr. Brian Hotram coming to bring the message today, and uh, uh, it's good to have him here. Uh, uh, I appreciate him so much, and uh, I just pray God's blessing upon you as you come. Thanks, Jim. <laughs> right. I don't know. Did I get this on? All right. All right. Uh, it is so good to be here. Uh, yeah, don't, I don't know, that, that doctor thing is uh, fairly new. I uh, did graduation a couple weeks ago at Corbin and I uh, got the doctor of Ministry there. and for, at Corbin when you graduate, uh, they we went through the line and they gave out presents and uh, they gave me a Bible, which is nice, but I, I kind of figure if you don't have a Bible at this point in your life, there's probably deeper issues here, so it's, it's a nice Bible, but I, I, I didn't really want to say, oh, I already have one of these. I sat, well, and then we go through the line, I sat down, and the guy next to me, is he says, oh, good, a Bible, I, I've been meaning to read this, and so stop it, just stop it, Ah. Uh, it is uh it is so good to be here. It is uh uh the Pacific Conference is home for me. Uh my dad pastored several churches and it is always good to be in one of our churches. Uh and see old friends here. Uh Becky is one of my oldest she is my oldest friend, okay? I've <laughs> known Becky since I was 3 years old and uh that that was over 20 years ago. Uh <laughs> At least 22 years ago, yes, yes, and so my dad pastored at, at Manor, and uh, hang out with Becky and Josh, it was all kinds of fun when we were kids, and it was awesome, and uh, it is it is so good to be here, uh, we are, uh, yes, as the superintendent, it's, uh, I can't, I don't know, somebody called me Randy the other day, too, uh, just... <laughs> It happens, it happens. Uh, yeah, people call me Randy, uh, that's okay. People call me Ron for years, because that's my dad's name. And uh, so, that's okay. Uh, but uh, I can't do everything Randy did, but uh and I can go visit churches, and so my wonderful wife Donna Lynn is with me. You may remember her from the front of your bulletin, so. <laughs> If you want uh she will autograph that for you after ch- I just I don't know I don't know Jim this is this is a lot of pressure just put the picture on the front of the bulletin Okay okay but uh yeah we are we are making our effort to uh just connect with churches as much as possible I think I think this is church number uh what uh 18 uh that we that at least I've been to donald has been with me for most of those that I've been to uh, uh on a Sunday morning uh so far this year and uh I think this is church number 14 to preach at so far this year so uh the schedule's keeping busy here and uh but it is a joy to serve uh you know for For Christmas, my my little brother, Nate, he gave us a a gift card uh, for Regal Cinemas, which then you have to find one of those. And so that was Christmas. We went to the movies the other night to see that Guardians of the Galaxy movie thing. Uh, We haven't been to a movie in a theater for quite a while. And uh, why did we show up so early? Uh, It was a half hour, a half hour of commercials and previews before the movie actually started. And the movie's going on, and I'm just, I am tired. I want to go home here. And you got all these previews for all these superhero movies, right? We're infested with superhero movies. I, I was on board for a while, but now it's just, there's too much. There's just too much. We gotta. I'm not a big fan of government regulation, but there's got to be some sort of regulation on, there can only be so many superhero movies. And, and there's enough superhero movies to where we kind of get the gist of it, right? Uh, there's, you know, a lot of times there's just some regular guy, and then all of a sudden he gets superpowers. And now he's learning about his superpowers. And then there's a phase there where they're just kind of playing around with these, right? Where you get like, you know, Shazam shooting lightning out of his fingers or Spider-Man flying around New York or The Flash running around and actually shoplifting. I mean, seriously. Uh, and, and, but that's kind of human nature, isn't it? We, we get something and we want to show off a little bit. Little kids do this, right? Uh, this is why some teacher years ago decided to do show and tell with the little kids in school. Because they're gonna do it anyway, right? And so that, you know, you get something, you're showing it off. And we do this. And this is human nature. And here's where Jesus is different than the rest of us Jesus had the power to do anything. But he didn't use his power to show off. He didn't use it to benefit himself. He used his divine power to benefit others. When we look at the the miracles of Jesus, most all of them are healings. He's benefiting others. Today we're going to look at the most famous miracle of Jesus. We're looking at the feeding of the 5,000. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 14 today. And uh, we're looking at the feeding of the 5,000. This miracle is recorded in all four of the biographies of Jesus and all four of the Gospels. It's in Matthew. We're going to look at that today. It's in Mark. It's in Luke. It's in John. The birth of Jesus is not recorded in all four Gospels, and we make a big deal about Christmas, Okay. <laughs> The feeding of the 5,000, it's in all four Gospels. Maybe it's kind of a big deal here. And uh, so in in the Old Testament, Moses, he comes down from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments, right? Remember that? Charlton Heston's got the Ten Commandments and all that. And in the New Testament, Jesus uh, is on the mountain there. There's the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus calls people to live to a higher standard than the law of Moses. In the Old Testament, during the time of Moses, the people are hungry. God provides for them, and he gives them manna, which is this wonder bread stuff that would just miraculously appear every morning. In the New Testament, Jesus feeds thousands of people with bread and fish. The story of the feeding of the 5,000, it is important because it shows us that how God turns a little bit into a lot. And you need to know this because many times we need God to turn what little we have into a lot. Maybe you've got just a little bit of energy, okay? Okay. Anybody feel like that? Okay, I, I, I do. I I'm uh, Yeah, I'm kind of running on empty these days. It is, uh, it is weird. I did not know how easy my life was pastoring a church tucked away in sweet home Oregon. Uh, those 14-hour days kind of sneak up on me uh, quite a bit these days. Maybe you're running low on energy. Uh, maybe you're running low on wisdom. Anybody running low on wisdom? Bible says any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask. Yeah. I don't know everything. I'm finding how little I know these days, too. I thought I had it all figured out. Nope. Running low on wisdom. Maybe you're running low on joy. Maybe you're running low on peace. Uh, Maybe you're just running low on time. Oh my goodness, I mean, Donald and I, are, we, we just, we can't quite figure out how time works anymore. Uh, we don't know if it's going fast or slow, really. Uh, a week ago, we were at Sweet Home uh, for church Sunday morning, and, and that feels like a month ago uh, because every week is so busy. Maybe you're like that. You know, when you give God what little you have, He can turn it into a lot or if not like a lot, he can turn it into enough. So whatever you're struggling with, whether it's in your church, in your home, in your family, in your work, God can take what little we have and turn it into a lot, so we got enough. So how does he do that? Whatever you're short on, whatever you're lacking, God can turn a little bit into a lot. How does he do that? We're in Matthew chapter 14 today, and and verse 13 kind of starts off this passage. uh, But right before that, we have the story of how King Herod Antipas killed John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus. When the news comes to Jesus, he needs a break. John was the only one in Jesus' family that believed him, right? His brothers didn't believe him. His mom kind of had her doubts. uh, I mean, when Jesus went back to his hometown in Nazareth, that didn't work out well. John's the only one in the family that believed him. And yet John is killed by the Herod family. We've had run-ins with the Herod family Literally his entire life. And John called out the immorality of the Herod family and he was killed. Jesus was God, but he's also human. He had human emotions. He had just lost a family member in a tragic way. He needed a break. In in the account in the Gospel of Mark, it says in Mark 6 31. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. Jesus needed that. He needed to get away, get to that remote place. The problem is he's famous, and word gets out, and thousands of people follow him. That doesn't normally happen for most of you, I'm guessing, but it happened for Jesus. Okay, so let's actually kind of, we have, let's wrap up this deal with Herod. It says in chapter 14, verse 10, so John was beheaded in the prison and the head was brought on a tray and given to the girl who took it to her mother. Tragic, horrible. Verse 12, later John's disciples came for his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus what happened. Verse 12, I use that for funerals a lot when I'm just called in to do a funeral. I have no idea who the person was. They came, they got his body, they buried it, and then they went and told Jesus. Okay, now we get to the event here. Verse 13. As soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. That didn't work out so good. But the crowds heard where he was headed and followed on foot from many towns. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. That evening the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's getting uh, late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, that isn't necessary. You feed them. Verse 17, but we uh, only have five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here, he said. Then he told the people to sit down on the grass. Jesus took the five loaves, two fish, looked up toward heaven, blessed them. Then, breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples who distributed it to the people They all ate as much as they wanted. Afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. About 5,000 men were fed that day in addition to all the women and children. Okay, so Jesus and his guys, they hop in a boat, and they go to the other side of the lake there, the Sea of Galilee, not what I would consider a sea. Uh, It's a good-sized lake. And, uh, And so they're going over there, But by the time they get there, this crowd is waiting for them. Somebody must have put it out on social media that that's where Jesus was heading. Now, before I really get into the sermon, let's just kind of look at something here. Verse 14, Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat. He had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. Jesus had compassion. There's a few times in the Bible it talks about how Jesus had compassion compassion on people, yet it's not just, it, that. it doesn't stop there. It's not just like the politician who says, I feel your pain, right? It is more than that. It is always followed with an and. Jesus had compassion and he does something and he heals them. He has compassion on you and he's willing to not just have compassion, but willing to take care of you and take what little you have and turn it into a lot. You notice the disciples, they come to Jesus, and it's late in the day, everybody's hungry. The disciples, they want to send everybody home, but what does Jesus do? He says, oh, just go ahead and feed them. Sends them into a panic, doesn't he? We can't do that. We don't have enough food food to feed these people. So we got a situation here, and we're going to see how we get a miracle out of this, a miracle that takes what little we have and turns it into a lot. Okay, so I got a—I think I have a four-point sermon here today. My outline is basically to keep myself on track, okay? So if you're keeping score on the back of your bulletin here, number one, I need to admit I have an unsolvable problem. I need to admit I have an unsolvable problem. Here's the thing. If you don't have an unsolvable problem, you don't need a miracle. There's too many times when we're, you know, we act like kids. I can do it myself, right? Or act like, you know, when my wife is trying to help me too. I can do it myself. But we need to admit it's an unsolvable problem. You know, this is kind of obvious, but it's true. Way too often we have a problem. And a lot of times we want a miracle because, well, it might be a little bit of work for me to actually fix this problem. (laughs) Uh, Sometimes we actually have to put in some effort. I read a book, uh, let's see, I was on a road trip and listened to the book. uh, The book's called Change or Die, and the author, he talks about, um, oh, heart surgeons. They are cranky people. Uh, you know why they're cranky? Because they're always telling people the same thing. What do do doctors tell people? You need to do two things, diet and exercise, right? Yes. You know, has a doctor ever told that to you? Don't raise your hand, okay. But doctors, they say, dentists, they say they have their own thing, brush and floss, right? And there's a lot of things in life, just do that. Yet, heart patients, they don't want to diet and exercise. They'd rather just get the heart surgery and have that take care of it, right? However, there are are other times where we have an unsolvable problem, and we do need a miracle. Here in Matthew 14, Jesus sees the crowd. He has compassion on them. He does teaching. He does some healing. And pretty soon, it's late in the day, and the disciples say, hey, wait a minute, we got a problem here. It's late in the day. This is a remote place. you got to send people home so they can get something to eat. And then Jesus comes up with something crazy. And Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And immediately, they say, we don't have that kind of money. In the Gospel of Mark, it says it would take eight months' wages to feed everybody. We have an impossible problem. Now, now, now I have sub-points under number one, okay? So these are kind of, you know, don't worry about these as much, okay? We need to admit we have an unsolvable problem, but what do we do when we have an unsolvable problem? We have three typical things we do. I do this, you do this, everybody does this. We procrastinate, we pass the buck, or we panic, right? We, We procrastinate. We all do this. Some of you are so good at procrastinating, you could write a book on it if you ever get around to it. My word, see, somebody's trying to call me, somebody named Potential Spam. Okay, uh but we procrastinate on all kinds of things. We put things off. We have a problem that needs to be solved, and we're, well, maybe I'll get around to that sometime. We put it off, we delay, we pretend it doesn't exist, and hope it gets better on its own. It says here in the passage, it's late in the day. They were procrastinating. Put it off, put it off, put it off the disciples had all day to figure out what are we going to do about all these people because they're going to need some food and nobody thought maybe we should call Domino's and order a few thousand large pizzas. (laughs) They had all day to do it but they procrastinated, they ignored the problem. Procrastination rarely solves your problem. Usually makes it worse. Let's say for instance, you got cancer. Now, Do you think you should deal with it in three days or three years? I know everything inside of you says, I'd rather just think about this in three years. But three days, probably a better plan here. They say time heals all wounds. That's not really true, is it? If it were true, you know, you go to urgent care and you just sit in the waiting room for a few hours and then you go home because you're all healed up, right? You waited Time did not heal this wound. You deal with stuff. The problem, you know, what problem are you procrastinating over? What are you pretending isn't really a problem? What problem just, what kind of relationship issues you got? What's going on in your life? We procrastinate, and we also we pass the buck, don't we? Human beings are really good at passing the buck, right? We're really good at finding somebody to blame our problems on. And uh, normally, you know, we see this in our society a lot, don't we? People don't want to take responsibility for their actions, so they're going to find some other group to blame. It's, you know, like it's the terrorists or the white supremacists or the Russians or the liberals or your parents, your kids, the politicians or CNN or the Kardashians or the superintendent. It's somebody's problem here. It is obviously their fault and not my fault. You know, not every problem in life is somebody else's fault. And it's not someone else's problem to fix. You can't live your life blaming others. The disciples, they said, hey, let's send everybody away. Why? They're passing the buck. Let somebody else figure out this problem on how to feed thousands of people. They didn't expect or invite thousands of people to feed. They didn't promise them food. So just just send them away. Let's pass the buck. Just send them out somewhere else. Not my problem. Not my circus, not my monkeys, right? It's not my problem. We procrastinate, we pass the buck, and we panic. You ever worry about anything? Anybody worry? Okay. Yeah, I do. Uh, I come from a long line of warriors. My mom's side of the family. Mom's pretty good. My grandma, she was really good. My great-grandma, oh, my word, she's a really good warrior, Okay? So it's, it's come from Olympic. Great-grandma Pearson was Olympic-class warrior here. And, and, and we do that, we fret, we get anxious, we get stressed out. I'm sure Matthew, the tax collector, he pulls out his abacus and he starts figuring out the calculations. How else did we get this? It would cost eight months' wages. I mean, like, who thinks like that? Matthew, the tax collector, does. Then, in their anxiety, it goes even higher because of the logistics of not just finding food, but getting it delivered. Do we have enough serving spoons? Do we have enough napkins? Who, does anyone here have a food handler's card? (laughs) And in their panic, Jesus says to them, you feed them. And Peter's like, who are you talking to here? Are you talking to me? You can't can't possibly be talking to me. They have an impossible problem. They're procrastinating. They're passing the buck. They're panicking. And you know what? They are literally standing next to Jesus. Let's kind of think about that for a moment. How many times do we do the same thing, and yet Jesus is literally standing with us? They're, they're saying, there's a saying that, that is not in the Bible, and not only is it not in the Bible, it's not true. People say this thing that sounds semi-religious. God won't give you more than you can handle. That is totally not true, okay? That is just, next time somebody says that, just tell them, that's heresy. The superintendent said that's heresy. It's totally not true. God's constantly giving you more than you can handle. He gives it to you so you can learn to rely on him. The disciples, they have this unsolvable problem. This is definitely more than they can handle. And Jesus says, just just do it. You do it. The point is, they needed to quit their normal approach to an unsolvable problem. They needed to quit procrastinating and passing the buck and panicking. And many times, God's going to ask you to do something impossible, something we think is physically, financially, emotionally, mentally impossible, and he does this to stretch our faith. You're not going to get a miracle until you admit, I've got an unsolvable problem. Okay, number two on my outline, give God what little I already have. I need to give God what little I already have. In the Gospel of John, we see that it was uh, the disciple Andrew who is at least trying to do a little bit of problem solving. It says in John chapter 6, then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish, but what good is that with this huge crowd? You know... Jesus did not need to use this boy's food, right? Jesus could have done old-school miracle, just have manna come down from heaven. He didn't need this, but why did he do this? Because God always starts with what little I have. God always starts with what little you have. You know, I don't have a lot of time or money or energy. I don't have a lot of fame or connections with famous people. I don't have a lot of success and achievements, but it doesn't matter. We are to give it to God. That's the big question for us. When we have an impossible problem and our resources are kind of small, are we going to give God what we already have? Are we going to trust Him with what little I have? It may not seem like a lot compared to what this world has around us. It may not seem like much. The problem is we're always comparing ourselves to the lifestyles of the rich and famous. But do we trust Jesus enough to give Him what little we have? Give God what little I have. Number three, I need to put it all in the hands of Jesus. Put it all in the hands of Jesus. This boy, he had five loaves, two fish. Now, I don't know if this was just his lunch or if his mom, uh, you know, that his mom packed him. Some of the commentaries, they speculate that this is more than a normal kid's lunch and maybe he was there selling food. Uh, kind of like at the ball game, peanuts, popcorn, fish, and loaves of bread. Uh, this boy becomes a hero because he gives it to God. In John chapter 6, verse 6, it says that Jesus had in mind what he was going to do. And then he asked them what food there was literally to test them. Jesus can do miracles. Jesus can do things without us. This was just to help them grow in their faith. And and Jesus does this to test us. And and the problem is, am I going to pass this test? Am I going to hang on to this? Because eh, I'll kind of give up just a little bit. Uh, You know, and this little boy... He comes along, he's not procrastinating, he's not passing the buck, he's not in a panic. He he comes to Jesus, and Jesus already has in mind what he's going to do. Jesus isn't passing the buck, he's not procrastinating, he's not in a panic, he knows what he's going to do. His plan is to simply solve, our. it's, it's not just to solve our problems, but it's also to teach us how to live our life by faith, by giving him everything we have. Have you given Jesus everything? Are you still hanging on? You know, I kind of wonder if there were... There's thousands of people there. Were there other people there that had some food? There's 5,000 people. Surely somebody out there had a granola bar or an apple or something. But they're hanging on to it. There are thousands... Because there's thousands of people there. There's no grocery store. There's no plaid pantry. (laughs) There's no McDonald's. There's nothing here. And they're hanging on to that. The boy gave Jesus all he had. He didn't say, well, I got five loaves and two fish. I'll tell you what, I'll I'll give you three loaves and one fish. He gave it all to Jesus. And then the miracle happened. Verse 19, Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven, blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples who distributed it to the people. Here's the point. God will use whatever I give him. It may not be much, but if I give to God what little time, energy, effort, or whatever I have, God can and will use it. A lot of times in life, our faith gets tested when we have an unsolvable problem. We need to give God what little we have, and we check to see what we already have. Not what we hope we have or what somebody else has. What do we have? And then we give it to him. I, I tell this story. Uh, years ago, uh, we had a funeral at the Sweet Home Church. Uh, the Sweet Home Church, uh, the building's a little bit bigger than this. The sanctuary, we could seat uh, about 100 or so. Uh, and, and then there's this big folding wall in the back that opens up to fellowship halls. So you open that up, you can, easily, you can seat a couple hundred people, not a problem. Uh, and then funerals happen, and then you can kind of, you know, people sit a little closer than a normal Sunday. And we had a funeral, and it was one of these big funerals. There were well over 350 people there, and we just jammed them in. Oh, my goodness. And, And so it is just, it's a full house here. Donna Lynn was a funeral coordinator at the Sweet Home Church, and the church across the parking lot is the gym. And so she goes over there, and the ladies are getting some food together after the funeral like you do, right? And we're looking at the food, and we're looking at how many people are in the church. Well, Lord, you fed the 5,000 could you stretch these sandwiches just a little bit farther so we can feed the 350 here? And God answered that prayer. And it worked out just fine because Donna Lynn prayed, and so you need to have Donna Lynn pray for all your problems, right? (laughs) Give God everything you have. And then number four, expect God to multiply it. We need to have that faith, that expectation that God will multiply it. I give God whatever I have. I put it in the hands of Jesus, and then I expect God to multiply it. It says in verse 20, they all ate as much as they wanted. Afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. About 5,000 men were fed that day in addition to all the women and children. Okay. Okay. We call this the feeding of the 5,000, but we see that's not accurate, is it? 5,000 men plus women and children. So what are we talking? 10,000, 15,000, a bunch, who knows? But God took a little bit and he turned it into a lot. And it was enough. And it was more than enough. There were leftovers. There were twelve. Baskets full of leftovers. The scholars, the theologians, they, they love looking into stuff like this. Well, there's 12, which is significant because of the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 disciples and, and all of that. You know, that, that may be important, but it, let's not miss the point here. Not only was this little bit of food enough to feed thousands of people, but there were also leftovers. Let's think about that. This little boy, he goes home, and he's got more food than he left with. And the mom wants to know, what happened? Where did he say? Mom, I gave Jesus what I had. And he multiplied it. And now we got more. Here's the point. Whatever you give to God, he always gives you enough, maybe even more. Where do you need that miracle right now? What is that unsolvable problem you have in your life? Give God what little you have. Put it all in the hands of Jesus. Too many times we're hanging on to a little bit, right? We sing that old song that they, we sing at, at camp meetings and stuff. I surrender almost all of it. I'm keeping some. I surrender most. It's not how that works, does it? There's an old hymn. It rattles around in my head. Uh, Becky probably knows this one because she's older than me uh, by m- many months, many weeks, weeks, weeks and weeks, many days older than me. Uh, But there's that old song, there's the chorus, little as much when God is in it. Yeah. God wants to bless you. He wants to care for you. Will you turn to him and trust in him? Will you trust in him with what your church needs? Uh, I've been on the local conference tour here. This church, I can't remember, it was early on in local conferences. I just did local conference number 40 uh, the other night out at uh, the Dalles. Uh, Every church has good things going on. Every church has needs and things like, oh my goodness, we need this, we need this. Uh, What is it that your church needs? Are you willing to turn that over to Him? Are you willing to turn over to Him your hurts? Those things that, ah, I talked with a lady a couple weeks ago. just deep wounds. There's that dumb, again, dumb sayings that we teach children, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That is not true at all, is it? It's not even close to true. Those words are the deepest wounds. Can God heal those deep wounds in your life? Are you willing to give Him those hurts? Are you willing to give Him your anxieties, your fears, your problems? Are you willing to give that over to Him? Because we know Jesus can take a little and turn it into enough. Let me pray for you, and then we'll close the service here, Lord God, we desperately need you. Lord, we are sorry for those times when we thought we could do it on our own without you. Lord, we have all kinds of things going on in our lives, and at times we try to do it ourselves, at times we try to ignore the problem, at times we just try to find someone else to blame or just panic over it. Lord, help us to turn it all over to you, that we could truly make you our Lord and Savior. Lord God, we pray that you would bless each one here today, that whatever they're going through, that you could be right there with them, that you could bless them and meet all their needs. Lord God, I pray that you bless this church, that your will would be done here in this place. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.